Psalm 119, verse 17. This is the word of the Lord. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I'm a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I've kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They're my counselor. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's get to it. A few things we'll take care of right away. And just in keeping with what I mentioned last week, this is the longest chapter in your Bible. It's the longest psalm of the the 150 that are in your Bible, 176 verses, 315 lines, all one long poetic praise to God for something. Do you know what that something is, church? It's His Word. I feel like there is a, a spirit of quietness on you today, and I feel alone. So you can interact a little bit, or at least go, mm, hmm, you know, you can do something, you can respond. Church is active. It's one long poetic praise to God for something. What is that something, church? It's His Word. It's, his bo- it's the Bible. The reason for His praise, what is the reason that someone would write 176 verses, 315 lines about one thing? It's because he's praising God for this word that shows him the way of salvation and then gives him everything he needs to know to worship God with his whole life. That's what this word does. You happy you have the word? Oh, I could go off on. I can tell what's going to happen today. I'm going to tell you right now. I've got four points and I'm not going to get to them. But this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go as far as I can until my time is up, and then I'm going to quit. And I'm going to give you something for your soul. Because it's going to be right here from Psalm 119. People, we just, well, we take the word for granted. Do some, some study of church history. Do you know there's people that have given their lives? Why? Because they believed that this really was and is the Word of God. They died for that. That should affect us. Does that affect you? Can you imagine having a gun put to, put to your head for, for believing and teaching the Word of God and then saying, kill me, because I'm not going to recant? I, my life's too easy. I forget about this. Word. I take it for granted. People died so you could hold it. 
making sense of what the Bible, of what we read in the Bible, means that we've got to make sense of the genre that we're reading. That's so important. You do not read a college textbook the way you read a comic book, the way you read a, a novel, the way you read a mystery, the way you read a map, the way you read a, a manual for your car. You don't read these things the same way. So you gotta, you got to be aware of that. When you're reading poetry, you got to remember that you're reading poetry. And poetry, how many of you have read poetry, not counting what I just did, how many of you have read any poetry in the last week? Josh, the, the worship leaders. Josh has read poetry, Dave Brown has read poetry, and the Chambers have read some poetry. I called them out, the poetry readers. The rest of you are not poetry readers. And you're missing out. You've got to understand poetry if you want to understand this psalm. And we don't understand poetry because we don't like poetry unless it's Dr. Seuss. Because it's hard to read. It's hard to understand. Poetry will move you deeply, though, if you take the time to read it. we got to dive in and look at what the psalmist is doing here, but we got to remember we're reading poetry, and in this poem, the, the poet has severely constrained himself. I told you this last week. His topic's the Word of God, but he's taken 22 stanzas, each representative of, a, of the letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and then in each stanza, each of the verses begins with that same letter. He has constrained himself in order to express his supreme devotion to the Word of God. So, Look at it right now. I'm going to show you kind of how it works. Because I think this will be helpful for you to see how the poetry is working. If you look at the, uh, right above verse 17, you see a word, a Hebrew word. I, I, if you know Hebrew, you'll be able to, to criticize my pronunciations. But because most of you don't, I can say just about anything, and you wouldn't recognize my mispronunciation. The word right there, gimel. It is the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Think of it like a G in English. Every verse begins with the letter Gimel, G. So if you're looking at verse 17, we translate it deal bountifully. But it would have read like this. I'm just going to walk down through it so you can see this. The psalmist would have, or the poet would have written, would have said, Gomal, deal bountifully with me so that I can keep your word. Golal, open my eyes so that I can see and understand your word. Gar, stranger, stranger I am. I'm lost. I need your word. It's my life GPS. I'm paraphrasing. Garas. Breaking. My soul is for your word. 
Gawar. Rebuke. Proud people who say they don't need your word. Golal. Remove my guilt and shame because I'm trying to keep your word. Gam. Even though I'm facing troubles, I'm looking to your word. Gam. Also, my best coach in life is your word. You see what he's doing there? It's a psalm that has this mathematically complex structure, but it doesn't follow a logical sequence. He's just spouting off. It has this asthmatic rhythm to it. It sounds like a choo-choo train. He's just saying this. The word is this. The word is this. It's my guide. It's my counsel. And it's all these proverbs and truths about God's word. It's poetry. It fires truth at you like a machine gun. But he's got purpose and he's making very vivid statements to get you thinking about your relationship with God, which is only as strong as your relationship with the words that he's spoken. That's what good songwriters do. They paint vivid, emotional, metaphorical portraits that's why it's good to read poetry that's why musicians read poetry that's why musicians write poetry because they want to move you they want to agitate you they want to stir you they want to make you feel something that's what art is intended to do i don't know if you ever go to art museums i don't go to them enough i remember i went to them when i was younger because i had to you all went on school trips, bored to death, thinking about what me and the guys would do to get into trouble, thinking about the pretty girls that we liked. We weren't looking at the art. I remember I, I went to Spain and I actually saw some of Picasso's originals. Now, this was when I was older in my 20s, but I went there because a girl that I really liked was living there. Her name was and is Amy. But I stood in front of Picasso's originals and I was unmoved because I didn't care about Picasso and I didn't care about his art. I cared about that person that God had made to look that way. But I stood in front of a famous painting called Guernica. Maybe you've seen it. You should go home and look at it. You should look at it for a minute. And you should think about what it makes you feel. I stood and looked at that painting and it did nothing for me until five years later, I couldn't get that painting out of my mind. It stirred me, it moved me, it agitated me because it showed what I thought were dismembered bodies and screaming people and horses and then I wanted to understand what he was doing and what he was doing was trying to make a statement about the evil of war that's what poetry does it stirs you 
It agitates you. This psalm wants to agitate you. If you go home today and you're not at, if you sit through this and you're not agitated, you're not stirred, you're not moved, you're not warmed, nothing happens, then you missed the point of the entirety of the service and something is wrong with you. God wants to move you. Psalm 119, look at the beginning of it. We might not even get to the four points. We're headed there. Look at Psalm 119, verse 1. I'm going to read it. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. If you know your Bible, that should remind you of another psalm. Go all the way to the beginning. Psalm 1. These psalms, these songs were arranged intentionally. Look at Psalm 1.1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. And then he goes on to say, the wicked are not so. Why is the poet referencing Psalm 1? Blessed are those who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those, verse 2, who keep His testimonies. What is He doing? He's putting a portrait before us of two types of people. The blessed or happy person and the wicked person. And then the psalmist penetratingly asks a question. Which one are you? Whose side are you on? What's the fundamental reason for the vivid difference in the portrait? I'm telling you, when you look at the psalmist and the way he describes those who walk in the way of the, the, the Word, those who love God's Word, those who value God's Word, and then the wicked are not so. They're the opposite of everything he says about someone who loves God and His Word. So, what is the fundamental reason for the difference between the one who is planted by streams of water and flourishing and growing and the one who is wicked and is going to burn away like chaff? What's the fundamental difference? I'll tell you, it's not money. It's not material possessions. It's not popularity. It's not power. It's not personality. It's not positive thinking. The fundamental difference is their relationship to the Word of God. So I want to tell you what my main point is. Write this down. The strongest indicator of your love for Jesus is your love for God's Word. The strongest indicator of your love for Jesus is your love for His Word. That's why He's written this Psalm. If you were to say to the psalmist, hey, I want to introduce you to a group of people who love Jesus, but not His Word. I want to introduce you to a group of people who love Jesus, but are careless 
with his word. I want to introduce you to a group of people who, who proclaim a love for Jesus but are inattentive to his word. They don't long for his word. They don't desire his word. They don't look at his word. They don't act like they need his word. They don't look to his word for guidance. But they say they love Jesus. The psalmist would say that's impossible. There's no such group of people. That's like saying I want to introduce you to a group of humans who never eat. Because love for Jesus and love for His Word are inseparable. In fact, you might say this, that this psalm is not really ultimately about God's Word but really and ultimately about his love for the author of his word. I titled this, this sermon, I took my title from a song by the Abbott Brothers. I and love and you. I love that. It's good poetry. What's he doing? He's exploring the relationship between I and the idea of love and you. You being something, some other person, not all of you. It's like a Venn diagram, okay? You've got this, you know what they are, right? You've got I, and you put a circle around everything that includes I, who you are. And then you've got another topic, you. And everything that you represents. And then you've got another topic, love. And everything that love represents. And what he is interested in is where those three diagrams overlap. So you might use an illustration. I see your, your faces. You're looking like I'm, you're not tracking me with Venn diagrams. All right, I'll do it like this. I, Kenny and all that Kenny represents, is in Spain visiting a girl that he really likes. We'll call her Amy. Okay? And then we've got love and all that it represents. And I am not interested in a picture of life where those three things don't overlap. I am interested in exploring the relationship between I and love, and you. And I'm interested in how those things overlap. Not you, anybody. You, Amy. So what the psalmist is doing is he's saying, and he says it a lot, I. Look at how many times he says, I, me, and my. And then he talks about you and your. And then he talks about the Word of God. He's interested in the overlap, the relationship between yourself, love, and him. And where do those things overlap? Was that too esoteric? I hope not. 
This is a song about God and the psalmist. It's a song about you and God. And it's personal. You're asking yourself this question. Can you say what he says? Can you sing what he sings? Because he believes at the end of everything, friends, it all comes down to him and God. It all comes down to you and God. When you breathe your last, it all comes down to you and God and what your relationship is with Him. When you're alone in the dark, what matters most is you and your relationship with God. What's your relationship between you and God? How do you know? How could you, how could you take the temperature of your relationship with you and God? Well, the strongest indicator of your love for Jesus is your love for the things he said. The things he says. Look at your love for, word, for his word that's the strongest indicator of your love for him. Have you thought of it that way, friends? Is there a love for God's word in your heart? So let's look at some indicators, and I'm going to get to one of them. But that's okay. We only need one today. Some indicators of your love for the word. The first one is, and this is the one we'll, we'll focus on, is longing. Is there any indicator of longing for God in your soul? Like, do you love Him? Do you want Him? How much do you long for His Word? How much do you long for communion with Him? How much do you need God? There's this deep longing for God and His Word, and it runs through this entire section. You see it, verse 17. He says, deal bountifully with me. Reward me. Treat me better than I deserve. Because why? Because I want to live for you. Verse 20, he says, longing. My soul is breaking for you. Verse 24, he says, your testimonies are my delight. This is a song of deep longing. It is a song of deep need. It is a, it is a recognition of, of his greatest needs being met by God. Longing for God. Uh, and a, a, a recognition that when he's been away for God for a while, there's a longing to get back there. Has sin ever disrupted your relationship with God? Has it ever created distance with you and God? Do you know one of the, true, the indicators of a true believer is even when you've sinned against God, there's this gnawing feeling that I want to get back. I want to get back. I've got to get back. I need to get back. It's longing. It's love for God. Is that in your heart? Do you long for His Word? psalmist prays with a strong sense of religious devotion, a deep love for God's Word. But he prays with a deep awareness of the gap that exists between where he is with God and where he wants to be. 
So if you're sitting here saying, man, I'm not like that. I, I don't have a longing for God's word. I want to be more like this person in missional community. Or I want to be more like this person that I see at the Bible study on Wednesdays. I want to be like this. The psalmist is actually aware of the gap that exists between God and him. And that's what creates the longing. He wants to close that gap. How does he do it? By spending time in God's word. He prays, open my eyes, because for some reason, Lord, I can't see clearly. If you think that someone who loves God's Word is someone who always opens up their Bible and sees clearly, then you're not understanding what is happening here. He can't see clearly, so he prays, God, would you open my eyes? I want to see you, but I can't see you. Cause me. See the relationship there to what things I said last week. He feels weak. He feels troubled. He's lonely like a stranger. He feels blinded at times. People are trying to hurt him. In these moments, his heart burns for God. My weakness and my failures can actually create a deeper longing in me for God. Are you seeing them that way? You want to get rid of your weakness. You want to get rid of your failure. You want to stop feeling some of these things that you feel. But God's actually using them to increase your longing for him because it makes you aware of how much you need him. Sins I did last week make me wonder if you still love me. But your testimonies are my delight. I need you, Lord. Do you have that? Do you have a a real longing in your heart for God? If you don't long for God, if you don't see God's Word as wonderful, if you don't see a great need in your life for God and a longing for Him, then something needs to change. But it ain't God. And He wants to do this. He wants to do this in you. I have uh, I've just learned of some friends in the church that are doing something that uh, as, I, as I was listening to what they're doing, it really, it affected me. And all they're doing, it's something very simple. They're just trying to be diligent to memorize God's Word because they have this longing for God in their hearts. They have this, they see this need for God. Now, they're not super Christians. They're not like, like these are what real Christians. No, they, they're weak. And they, and they fail. And they sin. But there's this stirring. God has saved them and they feel this longing for God in their hearts. And so they've committed to memorizing Scripture. And they started using this app called Marco Polo. And they've joined together. And what they do is they just work on memorizing small sections of Scripture. And then they get on this video and share it with one another. And so I I asked one of them to just make a short video clip. Because I was just watching through all of this. And it, and it hit me. So we've got this clip, and you can watch it taking place. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, 
then we should be holy and blameless before him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person should not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. We know that Christ, who was raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he holds, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, listen, there's something very there's something very that's not like this amazing video that we just put together, this amazing movie that we just put together. There's just something very simply plain and blue-collar-esque what they're doing there. But did you feel what I felt when I, when I watch it? When I see Tom there trying to concentrate and his little son just in the normal rhythm of life crawling on the floor, ribbit, ribbit, I can't concentrate. But he's taking that moment He's trying to store God's word in his heart, and there's something. It in, when you watch that video, it encourages you. What? Because it stirs in you a longing that I see in them, and I want that. So I signed up. I'm in on it. I'm memorizing Ephesians, trying to memorize the book of Ephesians, and I've got three chapters down. And it stirs me. You can't recite it. You can't recite Ephesians or any section of God's Word and not have it align you with God. It just does this. It's not magical, but it is. It's not magical. It's something that's very simply practical. So I'm asking, do you have a longing for God's Word in your life? Do you feel a great need for God in your life? That will be expressed in your love for His Word. I'm working on a list. I started, I, I grabbed a few people the other night, and I had a whiteboard right here, and I said, I want to come up with 100 ways to stir you towards loving, 100 things you can do to stir you towards love for God's Word. And they're going to be really practical. Like, I think the first one is this. Like, real. I had to study long and hard for this one. Read it. But do you know? 
that simple, startlingly obvious is something that some of you need to do. You need to just pick it up and read it and allow God to stir fresh affections for you in his heart, in your heart. This psalm could teach us so much more than what we've looked at today. But what we have seen today is that the strongest indicator of your love for God is your love for His Word. And one of the indicators of your love for God's Word is captured by the phrase longing. Do you see? There's good news for everybody here. Because everybody's into one of two categories. You're either longing for God's Word or you're not longing for God's Word. And I have good news for both. If you are longing for God's Word, then what God brought you here to learn this morning, what God brought you here to do is He wanted to encourage your heart at His grace at work in you. And if you're sitting here and you say, I feel no longing. Like, I just, I don't long for God. If, 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 love for, if the strongest indicator of love for Jesus is love for God's Word, and you're saying that that indicator is longing, and I don't feel any longing, I must be in the bad category. All you have to do is say, God, would you give me, would you stir in me some affection for you? And I want you to think about it for a second. Do you think that God would really want to answer that prayer? You might say, well, no, not if you knew me. Not if you knew the things I've done. God's got me at a distance. God doesn't love me like He loves you. And I just want to leave you with this. Jesus Christ, born a man, lived a perfect life that you could never live. And then He died on the cross, not for sins He had ever done, for the sins of His people. And he bore the wrath of God so that you could be brought near. So that you who were far off could be brought near. And know that your sins are forgiven, not because of your memorization of God's Word or any good thing you could ever do for Him, but because by His grace, He has loved you and saved you. And then He rose again to cash the check so that it's all complete, it's all done, and you're going to be with Him forever. Now, pray that prayer again with that in mind. He loves you and He wants to draw near to you. Let's allow, let's allow God to speak to us all that He would want to speak to us as we think about ourselves, love, 
in Jesus. Amen.